0: Welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast, Rediscovering the Ancient Way. Look, we are neck deep in a series. Praise the Lord. Finally, I got to a teaching series. Holy cow. Some people who listen to my Hezekiah series and the What is Man series and this, that, and the other one I don't even remember from last year, they're probably like, man, all I'm, all I'm hearing is Joel rambling on about every single thing that comes to mind. When in the world is he ever going to actually teach something out of the Bible? (laughs) So listen, the time finally came. Praise the Lord. Thank you for your patience. Look, when the one who deserves judgment is you. Now listen, if you're tuning in to part three, which is going to be the conclusion, and you haven't listened to one and two, what in the world are you doing? Go back and listen to one, and then listen to two, and then come back here to part three. It won't make sense. Well, not only will it not make sense, you're just going to miss out on the whole meat of what we're talking about and what we're going to bring to a close. So we are in 2 Samuel chapter 12. A brief summary because I like to do it. Let's let's just be honest. I just like to talk about it. The prophet Nathan comes to Daniel and he brings this two-ton word of the Lord right down upon David's head. David is broken. He is obliterated. He hears such a harsh correction that he does not know what to do with it other than say, you know what, I got no rebuttal. I have sinned before the Lord. Guilty. Man, we could stop right there and make that a message for the modern-day church for the next ten years. Let's just admit our guilt. What in the world would the Lord do if we just did that? Okay, let's move on. So we looked at how the word of the Lord comes. Judgment comes. In, because of his sin, because of the evil in his heart and his actions, there was a price to be paid. And what was it? It was his son. His son was pronounced to be unto death by Yahweh God. Because of David's quick response with humility and like confession, I believe God spared his life. I think he would have been on the table right there, dead, seven days later. That's my own perspective. I'm no Bible scholar. Do with that what you want to. Look into it. Study it for yourself. Be approved. That's my personal opinion. But, David, as an awesome example to us and a principle we can attain, uh, obtain, (laughs) and add to our lives, he says, I have sinned. God turns, I believe, in that moment because Nathan says, hey, this won't be unto death for you. You won't die, but guess what? There's some bad things coming. Your son will not live, thus saith the Lord. It comes to pass. But in the middle, we talked about in part two how David goes before the Lord. He sought the Lord. He he is a mess. He is on the ground, he won't come up, he won't eat, he won't interact with his brothers. He is, he is beseeching the Lord, pleading with the Lord to please spare the life of his son. Understandably so, if you have children, would you not do the same? I'm guilty, God, but please, please don't let it fall upon them. It's my guilt, it's my issue, it's my rebellion. Please spare my child. He inquired of the Lord on behalf of the child. Well, the word of the Lord comes to pass. Seven days, he's given word that the child has died. He responds, interestingly, he gets up off the floor, he cleanses himself, he changes his clothes, he anoints himself, he goes to the house of the Lord and he worships. Pretty good pattern, if you ask me. They say, what are you doing? Why are you getting up now? Shouldn't you start grieving now, David? What is wrong with you, brother? You make no sense. He says, look, while the child was alive, I fasted. I wept. I sought the Lord. Why did he do that? Because somewhere in his heart, he was pleading in hope. Maybe the Lord will be gracious to me. Maybe there's even a chance that the Lord will allow my child to live because he was still alive. As long as the boy was alive, there was a chance, right? I mean, that's simple understanding. The child dies, he acknowledges the judgment of God that was prophesied came to pass, and the child is gone. So he gets up, he does all these things, he goes to the house of the Lord, and he begins to worship Yahweh. Oh man, holy cow, man. Would y'all not want to know what in the world that little worship time was like for David? I mean, seriously, guys. I mean, seriously. Can you imagine what was in the heart of David in that time of returning to the house of the Lord to empty himself in worship and adoration of Yahweh? had to be very, 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 very significant for David. But he recognized his sin at the revelation of Yahweh's word through the prophet. He faced it, right? He cleans himself up. He chose to move on. It's done. As I said in part two, I would like to say... And again, this wasn't even in my notes. I felt like this is something that we could say rightly according to the text. I believe by his actions, David getting up, doing all that he did, returning to the house of the Lord and worshiping Yahweh God rightly, I believe that was his way of saying, Amen, so be it. Lord, your, your way, your will prevails. You are absolute Elohim of Elohims. You, God, are highly esteemed, and what you say goes, right? A rightful, ordered humility returning to worship the one true God. We could grasp a lot of things and extract them out of this text. But I just want to continue to stick as we as we begin to wrap this short series up. I want to continue to grab the overreaching principles that are within this text for us to add to our lives. How do we respond to the Father's correction? I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit pause right here. Okay, so today, I didn't work today. I didn't go see anyone today for coffee or 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 sharing testimonies, or anything. I didn't go anywhere. I was here at the house. Did a very little tiny bit of farm stuff in the pouring rain. But otherwise, I was here today. Studying. Reading. Interacting with my family. Well, I take that back. We went and saw a neighbor next just up the road, but that's a whole other story. My point is, we were here today and i had a lot of exchanges with my son 8 years old his will is boy it's it's full grown <laughs> well, actually i know it's not but like in our world there's enough of it his thing right now is exactly this principle i mean exactly this principle when you correct him 9 times out of 10 now it's going to come back at you with a spin that makes it all about you. Perfect example. He's homeschooled by my wife. She's an awesome mother, teacher, instructor. Noah knows this, my son, but, you know, he's still a little boy. Time and time again, and specifically to today, correction comes from mom. Don't want the correction. Don't agree with the correction. Don't believe. I need the correction, is the posture of my son's heart. So, I step in, okay? Look, this is not okay, son. You and I are going to have a little chit-chat. And before we get anywhere, the words that generally come out of my son's mouth in these circumstances are something along the lines, if not specific to, but mommy, (laughs) Well, mommy. Okay, so like this principle is in our eight-year-old and it's in me. And it's absolutely in everyone else as well. In measure. We have correction brought to us and we instantly, if we live according to our natural man preservation... We want to put it somewhere else. We want to put it on the one doing the correcting or on someone else who needs correction way more than me. And we deflect, and we deflect, and we say, hey, I can't believe you think something's wrong with me. Are you serious? I can't believe you're bringing correction to me. Well, what about you? It must be your perspective is off because that's not what I'm doing. I see it in my son, I would like to say probably every day in some form or fashion. And guess what? I see it in myself. And I see it all over the church. It is in humanity. Correction comes. Hey, mm what about you? What about them over there? Boy, have you looked at what they're doing? And if it's not even spoken, it's in our hearts, right? We, we do this assessment of the world of the church, of people in this and people in that, and we compare ourselves subliminally. Why? Because we are in flesh bodies that are limited to only thinking according to the Spirit. We do realize that, right? We are here in bodies of flesh. We still do have limitations, and we have to labor to submit every single thought under the headship and lordship of the Messiah. Every thought. And listen, if you've never listened to any of these podcasts before, I'm going to say something that I have said probably dozens of times, and so if you listen all the time, you're like, Joel, yawn, I know. But not everyone seems to get this. The Scripture is very clear along those lines that you do not submit your bad thoughts to the Messiah, You don't take him your bad thoughts. You don't have a lustful thought and then take that down and you submit it to the Messiah. You take it captive and you submit it again and again. Every time you have a lustful thought, you take it captive and you give it to the king. That's not what the Bible says. It says take every thought captive and you let him figure out what's right and wrong. You let him figure out what's acceptable and pleasing and what's not. We don't have the right to pick and choose what is right and good and pleasing to God and then what we think is bad we give to him. That's not what that says. Why am I talking about that? I don't even know. (laughs) So back on track, right? So we want to deflect. We want to take, oh yeah, well, this, this, and this. We want to make excuses for ourselves. Now we see in this principle specifically, David did not do that. He took ownership of his responsibility of his rebellion and evil in the sight of God. He recognized what was coming through the mouth of the prophet. We all have evil in our hearts, in our thinking. We have instances of error, rebellion, and then shame comes. It's the curse from the garden. Shame, shame, shame. However, we can respond as David did. We acknowledge our sin. We repent and turn. We seek the Lord that he might turn away from what we rightly deserve now. We do realize that. We have to keep coming back to that point. That he would turn from what I, in fact, do deserve, and then, come whatever may, I pick myself up, I move on, humbled, corrected, and I worship him appropriately and cleansed and dressed rightly to approach him clear and, and approach him in a probably a greatly heightened level of humility. I worship him in spirit and in truth. Free from the shame and from the guilt of the, of the correction that I needed in that circumstance. Perhaps this one life lesson David learned and then remembered when he penned things like, uh, went to Psalm 13 five and six. I've trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Maybe that was in the circumstance. I've trusted in your mercy. I'm going to rejoice. Another verse that he wrote, Surely, surely, out of these life circumstances, Adonai is merciful. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's rich in grace. He will not always accuse. He will not keep his anger forever. He has not treated us as our sins deserve or paid us back for our offenses because his mercy towards those who fear him is as far above earth as heaven, He has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Just as a father has compassion on his children, Adonai has compassion on those who fear him. For he understands how we are made and he remembers that we are dust. Friends, he could write things like that because he received correction and acknowledged his wicked, evil ways. But there was still a cost to his decisions. We have to reckon with that. We have to be okay with that. We have to realize that we are deserving of death. I feel like the modern church in in the mature places now, in the educated places, in the people who have actually gone somewhere a great distance with the Lord and have gained maturity and have gained wisdom, I believe I see a lot of them forgetting their own wicked ways. And this concerns me. It seems like the more holy people become, the less they seem to remember where they came from. This should not be the case for us. As I'm always saying, the sign that you repented is that you're still repenting. A sign that I have truly given my life away to the Messiah is that again and again and again I am giving it away. Losing myself for His sake. Because then the scripture tells us clearly that if I lose my life for His sake, then and only then will I find it. It is a lifelong endeavor. The less of me there is, the more of Him I will be. It's a simple scriptural principle. The more of me getting burned off in this process of sanctification, the more of the Messiah is going to radiate out of me. But it's only coming to those who humble themselves before the Lord. And when correction comes, you know what, Lord? I'm a man of iniquity. And we hold out hope that God will turn away his wrath and judgment. Because what? Because there's still some life in this. And like, oh Lord, please turn away. Please, please relent. That's much of the Psalms now. It's no coincidence. Please, Lord, stay your hand of judgment. But what? But we deserve your judgment. We deserve your wrath. I feel like the church forgets that. I feel like she enjoys talking about people who deserve his wrath because they're so evil, but they've been convinced that they themselves are perfect before God and deserve nothing but his favor. That is how she talks. She, the church. She talks like she is deserving of the favor and mercy of God. It's no wonder we are so isolating. It's, so, it's no wonder people don't want in and those who want in can't get in because you know what? Y'all are too high and lofty to even get to. Do you have anything wrong with you? That's why I'm encouraged that in the past couple months I'm seeing mature brothers in the Lord on the floor. As recently as this last Saturday, I saw a sister run up the aisle next to me. So quickly, I think she actually made a little bit of a a breeze and dove prostrate onto the floor up front, weeping. I told her after the service, sister, that's holy. That is holy. Church has got to get this the church has got to get the power within humility in acknowledging i have sinned before you lord david is trying to come through thousands of years to teach us that through the word of the prophet it is alive friends it's living it's active it can be living inactive if you are, in fact, fertile ground to receive the life that it wants to give you. Be fertile ground. Be corrected. Are you correctable? Do you need correction? I need correction. I have no issue admitting that. I have no issue saying, I am in need of the rod of my Father. I'm a mature man. I can take it. Because why? Because I know I have areas in my life that are deserving of his correction. If that's an epiphany to you, then friends, you've got a long way to go. And I I know that's hard, but you've got a long way to go if you do not need the correction of the Father because you're living so perfectly right. That's a dangerous place to walk. We shall rejoice in his salvation. We shall sing to him because he's done bountifully with us. We are deserving of his wrath and of his judgment. We ourselves, only because of the gift of God that came through the Messiah laying down his life unto death, purchasing and redeeming any one of us who would crawl up into his side and walk the way that he walked, join ourselves with his death. Only then do we have any hope. And it's not of our own. It's only a gift that was given to us that we did nothing to deserve other than respond by the gift of faith and the power of God himself in us to even approach him. Even our energy to respond to him is from him. He draws us into himself. The one who deserves judgment, friend, is you. The one who deserves judgment is me. His judgment, His correction, it is for our good. I'm saying this all the time of people who don't want boundaries and parameters for their children and for their homes and for the structure of their marriage that comes down from the authority of Yahweh God into the head of the household and through into the wife and to the children in an ordered home of holiness and consecration. We, we will not look like the world. All of these things are for our good. I'm not bound. I'm free. Free to carry out the commands of the Father. He has not responded to me in the way I deserve. I should not have the life that I have in Him today. I should be, I don't even have time to tell you what I deserve to be. Worst of all, I do not deserve to know him and to be known by him. I surely do not deserve to be a temple that he indwells. But I am. Because he's good. Because he's kind. Because he's slow to anger. He has not treated me according to my sin. Or paid back my offenses because his mercy towards me, because I fear him, is so far I can't even measure it. Go back and find that message about when I talked about, when I did that study about the East is from the West business, the scripture, do the study for yourself or go find the message. I don't even remember which one it was. But a study that I did months ago, I found this man. This was a this was a serious nugget of truth that the 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 scriptural reference of the east from the west reality that the text is saying clearly. When you do deep word studies, that the distance that you were between. The distance that existed between you and the Father when you were in iniquity, when you were not in him redeemed and purchased by the blood of the Son, that amount of distance is the exact same amount of distance east to west understanding that now your sins are cast out to. Do you understand what I'm saying? I taught on this before. That, that same distance, that chasm that was between you and knowing eternal God is now to be the same distance from your, of your sins being from the east from the west. So far removed, you cannot cross, you cannot bridge that chasm. Just like you couldn't cross that chasm between you and God other than by his goodness that was demonstrated through the Messiah. Immeasurable. We are deserving of his wrath, but he's slow to anger, he's abounding in love. He is an awesome Father that is worthy of our absolute everything. So friends, please sit down, examine your life. Ask yourself, number one, how in any way, oh God, am I looking at everyone else's issues and evil and problems and sin ready to execute God's judgment at the drop of a hat? God, you just tell me who needs it, who needs it? People you know are people on the news. I don't care who. And in any way, because of that obsession, are you neglecting your own innermost places on places inside of you that are opposing God? The church is so fascinated with all of the evils of the world. Oh God, you gotta get them. You gotta get them, God. God. What is the condition of the church? What's the condition? What's the spiritual condition of the church? Friends, sin runs rampant. Arrogance and pride, man, are soaring into the heavens. Men exalting themselves over other men in the name of God. Our nation is bigger and stronger and better and we will assault you and lay you out to nothing in one second. Do you know how strong we are? You're like a bunch of ants and we're going to execute God's judgment on you. Friends, we have to be careful with these things. We've got to be careful. I'm not talking about like governmental principles. I'm talking about our hearts. I'm talking about what kingdom we operate in and under and therefore also execute on this earth against principalities and powers that cannot be seen. There is a greater level of authority to be accessed for the ones who will walk in humility and will openly say before the Lord every moment that is necessary, God, forgive me, I'm a man of iniquity. Be gracious to me, God. Receive me, accept me, that I might be prepared to carry out your authority and your will and your government on the earth underneath your absolute leading. I want to be a man like the Messiah. I only will say what you say. I will only do what you, Father, are doing. Period. I have no agenda of my own, to execute any judgment. I start here. I will start here, and I will sit down here, and I will examine myself. Because sometimes, friend, the one who deserves judgment is you. David learned that lesson hard. May we learn from his hard lesson. Here we are thousands of years reading something that was probably one of the most excruciating revelations a man has ever had of what Nathan the prophet told David in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Brother, I hate to tell you, but that man is you. Friends, we are are the ones who deserve judgment. But the eternal God, should we be purchased by the blood of the Son and covered in the blood of the slain Lamb, says, I forgive you. I forgive you. We need to be marked by this reality. We need to be marked, friends. We need to be suffering servants in the path of the Messiah. I mean dripping with the blood of the slain lamb. I think the time is now for people to be abased. To be completely dead to themselves, their own agendas, their own ideas, their own political preferences and all this nonsense that people burn endless hours a day thinking on. It's time to operate in an elevated kingdom that is not seen here and now as it's seen as the kingdoms of men. It will not be the same. It's a narrow way, friends. I literally feel like every night when I go to bed that the way is more narrow than I thought it was when I got up. I'm not kidding. If it was a day that I spent in the Word of God meditating on the scriptures and communing with Him, every time I go to bed at night, I think, oh Lord, will I make it? Will I make it? Because this narrow is becoming, this, this road is becoming very narrow and very, very much more constricting every single day. But you know what, God? I'm coming in. I'm coming in. My wife, my son, we're coming in. We're going to lay aside everything that's making us too wide to get into that gate. God, we're coming in. We're coming in through the slain lamb, the door, the way. It's our only hope, friends. It's our only hope. May we follow the pattern that this scripture is telling us. May we be like David. May we, number one, may we fess up that we're like him. We are men of unclean lips. We, we are men of iniquity. Confession. No rebuttal. And our response is we get in the dirt, God. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to hang out with my bros. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be seeking your face saying, Lord, please stay your hand of wrath. Please, God. Please turn from me. I deserve your wrath. I deserve your judgment, but God, please receive me. I'm telling you, this is going to be the remnant church. I am absolutely convinced the remnant church is like that sister who dove on the floor and looked like a fool in front of 135 people because she didn't care about her being right before Yahweh God. Those will be the few who get in. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I could go on and on right here, right now about that and lose a whole bunch of listeners right now, but I'm not going to do that. Those are the ones getting in. Lowly. Humble. Because if you haven't read your Bible today, those are the ones who will be rightly exalted. Because of why? That's the power of the Son. He was laid low so that the Father could exalt him to the highest throne above every throne where he now sits on your behalf, mediating as the suffering servant, victorious as king of kings. We deserve judgment. We are forgiven people under the hand of a righteous and holy God we need to walk in fear and in trembling and in honor of his great name. Amen.